Chapter 12 Peter and Becky's First Date Becky sat at her desk with an empty bottle of Corona in her hand. Fishing around in a drawer for a can of Budweiser she was convinced she'd hidden from herself earlier in the year. It wasn't there, though, and never had been. Damn it, she yelled. Peter was close by, standing behind a shelf, spying on her. He ducked out from under a stack of boxes. Is everything okay, he asked, hoping she needed something. Becky sighed, then burped. She rolled her empty bottle along the top of her desk. I forgot to do the beer order, she said. We're out of fucking beer, goddammit. Need me to go on a run, Peter asked, straightening his shirt and hat. Becky looked over her desk at him. She looked him up and down. Yeah, she said, wiping her mouth. But I'll go with you. We gotta go to TNT's. TNT's liquor store was the closest place to buy alcohol. It was also the scariest liquor store in all of Iowa. While only a quarter mile away, the place looked like it fallen from the pages of a macabre science fiction cartoon. Peter only knew the place from the outside, which was made entirely of nailed up plywood and rusted bars, with not a bit of glass in the windows left to break. All its neon signs hung lifeless from the empty frames like the dead, rotting carcasses of rabbits in a butcher shop. Its parking lot was huge and always crowded with prostitution, drug deals, and high school dropouts looking to score anything they could. Peter drove by it several times a day, but had never thought to pull off and test his chances among the crowd. Somehow, Becky's tone when she said the name made him think the place wasn't that scary after all. I know TNTs, he said, gathering his jacket. I can get us there in five seconds. Becky took an empty pull from her drained bottle and tossed it aside. Let's roll, she said, her eyes a blur. Peter had never been alone with Becky in his car. It was magical the way the sun painted light onto her face, the way she sat so comfortably without a seatbelt, and the way she smoked her cigarette with all her fingers and a trembling wrist. He thought to put on music, but drew a blank at what would impress her. Since getting the delivery job, Peter had grown oddly fond of silence. It was early afternoon. Together, side by side in his car, Peter and Becky shared a beautiful stillness as the road beneath them crumbled and soundless birds glided above. No radio, no other cars, just the air through a thin crack in her window where she held the remainder of her cigarette to the wind, its ashes flaking, then lifting, then flying. Peter did his best to hide his glances, but soon the road left his vision entirely, and his eyes fell first upon her face, then her lips, then her arms, and finally her chest. Watch the road, Becky suddenly commanded in an agitated bark. Peter pulled his eyes away from her and looked over the road, embarrassed he'd been caught, but kind of thankful she'd noticed. That was a first. 
The sign for TNT's liquor stood high in the distance. He knew once they arrived, he'd likely be expected to act cool. He hadn't felt cool in a long time. They reached the parking lot and pulled up the drive and into a spot all the way in the back near the highway. Peter intentionally parked a great distance from the other cars and the front doors, wanting a bit more time to think of a plan and gain some confidence. Becky fished through her pants pockets for money. You gotta go in, she said. I got money, but you gotta go in. They don't like me in there. She sounded drunk, as if she'd forgotten their whole peaceful ride and only just been rudely awakened, wiping her eyes and yawning. I'm not old enough, Peter said, staring out his window. I thought that's why you came along. They're not going to sell anything to me either. Not with that attitude, Becky said. It was what Peter had dreaded the most. Not only was he expected to pull into this parking lot, but now he was expected to get out of his car and walk through this crowd and into the store to purchase something. This was no small task. Peter was a little tall for his age, but he in no way looked old enough to buy alcohol. Plus, he was wearing his uniform. The uniform of a place employed mainly by high schoolers. Well, except for Becky and Ken. Peter stalled getting out of the car, trying to think of a way out of the situation. Then Becky's hand came into his lap, dropping a few wadded-up dollar bills onto his thigh. Just get some beer, she said. Whatever's cheap, but don't get Miller Lite. I'm sick of Miller Lite. Becky gave him an unfriendly shove, snapping her fingers in his face. Wake up, kid, she said coldly. I need beer. An explosion went off in Peter's heart. It broke apart his little boy ribs, shredded his little boy stomach, and quaked his little boy bowels. She'd called him a kid. There it was, the truth about how she felt toward him. Now he sat next to her, fully aware of what all this was, just some made-up romantic charade playing out in his thoughts. She'd never said a suggestive thing, only in his dreams of her, and she'd never given him a thought except when she needed something. He was no more than a tool, and almost a useless one at that. Peter looked across the parking lot at the swarm of drunk adults, no longer intimidated, but only irritated. His anger boiled quickly, and before he realized what he was doing, he'd snatched the dollars from his lap, gotten out of his car, slammed his door, and stomped halfway across the parking lot. A robotic coldness controlled his movements as his jaw clenched shut, holding back a shout of obscenities. Two men approached him, tossing up their collars and straightening their hats. They whispered the names of drugs, holding open their coats. Peter just brushed past them, almost wanting to get his ass kicked. But the two men stepped aside. Suddenly, what once seemed so scary and unimaginable became very real and stupid. All of these people were idiots. Once he was among them, in the heart of their circle, Peter saw that the cars gathered in the parking lot were all broken and abandoned, and that a lot of them had curtains pinned up in their back seats. 
This was no gathering at all. It was some kind of lower civilization. Peter noticed that most of the people were barefoot. He walked quickly through the crowd, not knowing what to make of it, not wanting to understand how life could leave you in a place like this. He reached the front doors and stepped inside, shutting out the daylight and entering an almost pitch-black room lined with rattling glass bottles stacked high on shelves above his head. The aisles were so narrow that he had to turn to one side, shimmying between the rows while sucking in his gut. It reeked of rotten fruit and old newspaper. A single light bulb hung far in the back of the room. Peter followed the sound of a cooler fan, hoping to find the beer and get out of there as quickly as possible. He crouched and turned a corner. An enormous dog lunged at him from out of the darkness. Peter flew backward, landing on a pile of cardboard. He screamed, shielding his face with his arms. The dog was trying to bite him and claw at his face, drooling and panting as it barked and snapped its jaws. Peter closed his eyes and fought back as best he could, kicking his legs and thrashing back and forth, but the dog was much bigger than him and had him pinned on his back. It bit into his arm and tore open his shirt with its claws. Peter saw a flash of his mother's face and grew scared as the dog wrestled to get a bite at his neck. Then a single gunshot fired and the dog stopped abruptly lifting its head and sniffing the air. It was monstrous, with small ears set far back on its huge head. It had the mouth of an alligator and the eyes of a gorilla. Peter peeked up at it in horror as it looked around, dumbly licking its lips and blinking. The sound of heavy footsteps followed the ringing of the gunshot, and in an instant, a giant man was grabbing at the dog by its chain collar, pulling it off of him cursing and swatting it with a rifle. Goddamn fucker, the man said. A cigarette hung from his mouth, and he spoke in bursts of smoke. His hair was gray and electrified, and his arms were the size of barrels. He was the biggest person Peter had ever seen, and he was wrestling effortlessly to calm the giant dog down, smacking it on the ass and petting it with his free hand while the other clutched the gun and collar with giant, calloused fingers. The dog barked up at the man and wagged its tail. The man gave it a soft kick aside, and it vanished around a corner, its long claws scraping along the tile floor as it went someplace far back in the store before flopping on its side. Now, in the dim light, the man stood over Peter, looking down at him and smoking his cigarette. The man's eyes seemed to spin. She's stupid, the man said plainly. She was born stupid. Life don't fix stupid, especially a stupid old dog. Did she bite you bad? Peter sat up and looked at his arm. There were a few bad gashes, but barely any blood. He climbed to his feet, brushing himself off and straightening his shirt. I'm fine, he said, sniffing and wiping his nose. Peter turned to go, but the man touched the barrel of the gun to his shoulder. What the fuck are you doing in here, the man asked. Peter just looked at him. How old are you, kid, the man asked. 
poking him with the gun. Peter's eyes went mean. Don't call me kid, he said. Peter brought up a hand and pushed the barrel of the gun away from him. The man nodded sternly like he understood something in the boy's attitude. You're looking to buy them, he said, dropping the butt of his smoke and smashing it with his heel. Peter nodded, but said nothing. Shit out of luck, dumbass, the man replied with a shrug. You don't look old enough to buy cough drops. I ain't selling you shit. There was a heavy stench of alcohol on the man's breath, which rained in loose, cold splatters down into Peter's face. Peter wiped his eyes and glared up at the man. What if I told you I needed beer to get a girl to like me? The man shifted his stance and eyed him with a sideways grin. I'd say you were wise beyond your years, the man replied. Now get the fuck out of my shop before I whack you with this gun, you dumb son of a bitch. Peter looked up into the old man's face. There was truth to the man's claims. He looked like the kind of man that could hit a child with a gun if driven to such an extreme. He also looked like the kind of man who'd seen other men beat other children with other guns many, many times. There was life in his eyes, but that life had turned to a ghost which now haunted his mind and drew blood in jagged streaks around each iris. The man, much like his dog, began to drool as he stood there holding the gun and waiting for Peter to test him. Peter didn't press the issue further, but he also didn't run, turning rather slowly instead and walking his way back toward the doors in a casual saunter. He even stopped along one aisle, picking up a few bottles and rolling them in his hands, pretending to read their labels as the man watched in irritation. And when Peter reached the door, he gave the man an odd wave goodbye. The man returned the wave, but said no more. Peter took the long way around the huddle of people outside, holding the waist of his pants up with a hand as he hustled quickly back to his car, glancing over his shoulder at the front doors several times as the sun beat down and the highway sang. He reached his car and pulled open his door, climbing in behind the wheel and untucking his shirt. Becky had been staring out her window, watching the crowd of people and the light traffic as it passed. But when Peter slid in next to her, she frowned at his empty hands and shoved him on the shoulder. You didn't get it, she moaned. Peter listened to her voice and grew angry. He thought about the dog, the gun, and the old man, but he swallowed the anger, tasting the dust of age as it ran down his throat. He lifted up his shirt and pulled a large brown bottle out from inside his pants. I couldn't get the beer, he said, but I stole you this. It's the best I could do. Becky took the bottle from him and looked it over. It was root beer flavored schnapps. There was a cartoon logo on it of two cherries hanging from a stem. Becky thought the cherries looked like testicles. She laughed a small, real laugh. Peter watched her hands as they opened the bottle and fed her mouth a long drink. He smiled to himself, feeling somehow accomplished and grown in that strange moment. Becky closed her eyes 
and began to chug the whole bottle. They took the highway back, but in a sly move, Peter pulled them onto his beloved County Road C-91 and rolled the car to a stop at his favorite lookout spot. Becky hadn't been watching the road, but only gazing drunkenly over the passing bean fields that stretched out to the end of sight. When the car came to a stop and Peter killed the engine, she shook herself out of her daze and looked around. Where are we? she asked, a little confused. This is a place I wanted to show you, Peter said. He looked over at her, masking his desperation with a squint toward the sun. Becky's eyes fell to her lap. She knew this place. She knew this plan. She knew what all of this meant, and it made her feel bad for Peter. She knew he wanted to be original and wanted what was happening between them to be special. But truthfully, he'd just driven her to a liquor store and stolen her schnapps, then taken her straight to the popular makeout spot, hidden back on County Road C-91. This was the exact same date she'd been on countless times, right down to the flavor of schnapps and the flat pattern of clouds moving along the horizon. To Peter, this was something he'd been working toward for a while, just like all the other boys who'd taken her here with eager eyes and shifty hands. But to Becky, it was a cycle she tried often to estrange herself from. She wanted to think it'd been months since she'd been here, but really, it'd only been a week, when in a drunken blur of poor judgment, she'd let her ex, Chris, drive her here so she could give him oral sex. She took a swig of schnapps and rested the bottle between her legs, looking out the windshield at the inverted world reflecting itself out beyond the sky. It was an ugly place. Peter reached across the console between them and tried to pry her fingers from the bottle. It was tender but strange how he timidly played with the tip of her thumb. What are you doing, she grumbled coldly, swatting away his hand. Peter went quiet and still, resting a limp hand on her thigh. Becky opened her door and got out of the car. Then she stumbled to the edge of the road and threw herself down in the gravel with her head between her knees. Peter stayed behind the wheel a moment, processing her rejection and what it meant. He thought it might be best to just start the car and leave, but he knew that wasn't right. Nothing felt right, not a single thought in his head. He was overwhelmed and wanted to slam his hands on the wheel and scream, but instead he sat there and took it in like a giant sharp pill, cutting its way through him and fizzing his innards. He opened his door and stepped out into the blinding sunlight. He walked over and sat down next to her, propping his arms up on his knees. His eyes scanned the moving grass, and he picked up a few stones and tossed them out into the field, listening to Becky snort and breathe and drink from the bottle. Becky flung her head back and took a long, hard swig. Brown trails of schnapps ran down her cheeks and pooled beneath her ears. She finished the bottle this way, and then threw it into the ravine, where it landed with a dull thud, there to remain forever. She wiped her mouth with her collar. Peter glanced over and got a good look down her shirt. Her bra was pink with black spots, 
like a ladybug. Becky noticed him staring and dropped her collar, covering herself with an arm. Peter looked away, ashamed. You want to fuck me, Becky said. You brought me here to fuck me. Peter didn't answer. He wanted to kiss her, and yes, he wanted to fuck her. But he couldn't respond. There were no words to fix this. He'd done something wrong. Do you love me? Becky asked, mockingly. She poked him in the face with her finger, and then stuck it in his ear and shouted, Does little Peter think he's in love? Peter was mortified, just a shell of himself shifting in the summer air. Becky was making fun of him. It was more awful than the rifle pointed at his chest, more painful than the dog's giant teeth tearing into his skin, and more lonely than this lonely, beautiful place had ever felt. And then Becky started punching him. She turned and rose to her knees, hitting him over and over on the head with her fists while screaming curses and spitting. In an instant, Peter was flat on his back with Becky straddling his chest, punching him in the face. He flailed his arms and cried like a little girl, desperately grabbing at her hands to calm her down. He got a hold of her collar and tore open her shirt. Becky's eyes had gone mad drunk. She wasn't just hitting Peter. She was hitting the earth beneath him and all the other boys who brought her here to look at her boobs. Peter screamed and kicked himself out from under her, turning onto his side and crawling away like a worm. He reached the line of tall grass and curled himself into a ball, holding his legs to his chest. He'd torn Becky's shirt open. Her bra and breasts hung fully exposed. Peter couldn't bring himself to look, though. He spit up a little blood and then rolled onto his back and stared at the empty sky. Becky sat looking at her hands. They were balled into fists and shaking. Peter sat up and brushed grass and rocks out of his hair, looking over at her in exhaustion. Now he would leave her here, he decided. But even in a blushed pink state of rage, with tear-soaked eyes, Becky still somehow looked beautiful to him. It wasn't just her torn open shirt. It was the skin beneath it, and the bones beneath that, and the lonely heart behind all of it. Peter wondered if Becky would ever be something else to him, or even if attacked and punched by her, his only hope would be to touch her through the violence, smell her through the fight, and hold her when it was over. He had nothing to compare this feeling to, not to his parents, not to his uncles and aunts, not even to the couples naked and intertwined on the glossy pages of his magazines. None of it looked like this, made him feel like this. He wanted her more now than ever, even if that embrace came with another beating. He looked at her chest, then up into her eyes. He shook his head at himself and turned away, unable to fully understand what he'd just learned. Becky pulled her ripped open shirt around herself and got up. Then she walked over and sat down beside him in the grass. She put a hand on his shoulder and rubbed him like an adult would do to a child. Peter swatted her hand off of him and slid away from her. I'm fine, he said. You hit like a girl. I'm fine. Becky thought about what she wanted to say. The heat and sweat had sobered her up. Her head was throbbing. <laughs>
I'm sorry, she muttered. I'm sorry I got mad. Peter just looked at her. Do you know what it means when you bring a girl to this place? Becky asked. Peter spat and thought her question over. I brought you here because I love you, he said. Becky inched closer to him and touched him on the shoulder again. You don't love me, she said, shaking him. Peter spat into the grass again. You don't know that, he replied. Nobody loves me, Becky said. Especially not you. You don't even know me. Then how come I like you so much, Peter asked. The same reason every boy likes me, she said. Because I have boobs, and I'm kinda easy. Becky said this so plainly that it took a moment for her own words to dawn on her. She brought a hand to her mouth, ashamed. Peter thought about what she'd said, trying to reason with himself that she was wrong, but he knew she was right. He didn't know her. But now he was getting to know her, and what he was hearing sounded like it needed a lot of repair. He suddenly remembered a phrase his father had once said about women while cleaning the garage. Back then, Peter hadn't liked the phrase or the way it made him think about his mom. And now, out here in a field with Becky nearly topless sitting next to him, Peter didn't like the way the phrase made him think about himself. He realized were he to say the right thing, he would fulfill his desire to touch her. Becky was waiting for him to act, to pretend, to claim to be a solution, an answer. Peter's father was a pathological liar. He was a salesman. It was his profession to make people believe him, even if what he was saying was pure bullshit. And the problem with Peter's parents' relationship was that his father brought this practice home with him every day, and in the recent months had even attempted to pass it on to his only son. Peter closed his eyes and remembered that awful day in the garage when his father had crudely compared women to a box of Christmas lights. Peter spat and looked into the vertical lines of the tall grass, standing like bars. Love is like a wart, Becky said, interrupting his thoughts. I don't claim to know everything, and I don't necessarily think that's the way it feels for everyone, but I do know how love feels to me. Love feels like a wart, one wart, a sore, aching one, right on my pussy. It turned out for me that love only came once. Before it, there wasn't much. And then when it came, it hurt. It stung each time I touched it or thought about it. It made me worried, worried over what it meant and if it would hurt me. This was back when I was your age, back when me and Ken used to work together. He was a senior and I was a freshman, and I fell in love with him when we first met. I knew it was love because it hurt so bad. It wasn't only physical for me. I wanted to hear Ken speak. I wanted him to teach me things, make me cool like he was. He was really cool back then. He used to let me wear his jacket. That made me feel so good. And he used to kiss me in front of other girls who liked him. That made me feel so special, so amazing. Becky wiped a tear off of her face. It was a summer like this one, she said with a snort, hot and bright and quiet. We started working together, and in my head time meant nothing, 
I never counted the minutes or days, because I knew, inevitably, they would lead us apart. He'd already graduated, but in my secret hopes, he would just stay and wait, or better yet, take me with him. Peter shook his head. What happened? he asked. Neither, she said. Nothing happened. The summer rolled on and then ended. I'd given myself to him, my whole entire self, my body, my heart, everything. I gave him everything I had and told him he could keep it. Then what happened, Peter asked, turning to look her in the face. He took it with him, Becky said. I watched him get on a bus, then followed that bus, making my grandma drive all the way to the train station. Then I watched him get on a train, and I made my grandma drive all the way to the airport, chasing right alongside that train as it wove through the trees. Then we got there, and I couldn't find him. But my grandma pointed to the sky, and way, way up, shooting into the clouds like a bullet, was the smallest speck of a plane. My grandma told me it was his plane, and that he was safe. That was the last time I'd seen him until now. I don't understand, Peter said. You don't understand what? Becky asked. I don't understand how that makes love feel like a wart. Then that means you don't know what it's like to be in love. Peter looked away. He felt dumb for bringing her here. He felt young and stupid. So all that time, he said, looking off, all that time you sat here in this shithole town, loving someone long gone, someone who'd likely forgotten all about you. Not exactly, Becky said, tossing some gravel into the air. I started to fill my time with an old friend of Ken's, the only guy I could find who would listen to me talk. Then what happened, Peter asked. I got a wart, Becky said.